0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
1: There's so little about the Biden presidency that has been a surprise. In fact, if anything, it feels like it was all so obvious. We all saw this coming in so many ways that it's not even it's not even worth anyone's time to say, I I told you this was going to happen because we all you knew I knew we all knew this was going to happen. And now we're seeing it play out before us. Joe Biden is a sub mediocrity. He's a buffoon. He's too old for the job. He's not smart enough for the job. He isn't a leader. I mean, there's so many problems here and we're just seeing this. And, and his vice president is no better in the, in the skills and ability department. She's also somebody we've seen that uh, you would not describe as a leader if you were being objective. But we'll get to all that in a moment. I want to focus in on what's going on with you at home now and at work whenever you're online. True online privacy is in the past. Your online data always seems to be under the magnifying glass by big tech. There's anxiety from not having control of your online data while it is being manipulated and sold to advertisers. But now there's a new way with the ultimate privacy and cybersecurity communications tool in your hands. Introducing secure an instant messaging and email platform hosted in Switzerland, protecting your data with the strictest privacy laws in the world. Secure is spelled S-E-K-U-R and uses proprietary encryption technologies, an independent platform, and Swiss privacy laws to ensure complete privacy and security of your data on desktop and in transit. This is secure and private instant messaging and email. It assures your conversations, messages, and data are kept completely safe and private. Secure does not mine your data and is not subject to the Cloud Act. Take back your freedom, privacy, and online security with Secure by going to S E K U R dot com. That's S E K U R, Secure dot com. Make sure you use the coupon code BUCK. That'll tell them you heard about them here on the show and also get you one week free and 25% off. It's a great deal. Please use that coupon code BUCK. Just go right now, dot com. That's the website, secure.com, and regain your privacy. Use coupon code BUCK.
2: We must all commit to an ambitious climate action if we're going to prevent the worst impacts of climate change limiting global warming warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius, lead the global the global transition to clean energy technology. You know, when I went over in the tank in the Pentagon, when I first was elected vice president with President Obama, the military sat us down to let us know what the greatest threats facing America were, the greatest physical threats. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming because there'll be significant population movements, fights over land, millions of people leaving places because they're literally sinking below the sea in Indonesia because of the fights over what is arable land anymore.
1: You know what is a joke? Joe Biden's IQ. I mean, this is not a smart individual. He's running the country, not a bright guy. And we're supposed to sit here. And listen to this utter buffoon ramble on in front of the military about how the greatest threat this country faces is climate change. That is the dumbest thing I've heard since people were walking around in marches and in riots yelling, defund the police. Does it get dumber than this? I don't know. It looks like Democrats are always trying to find a new way to say insane things and have everybody just go along with it for some reason. What? No rational, well-adjusted human being who is capable of thinking for himself or herself believes the greatest threat to America is climate change. This is crazy stuff. But these are the same people that believe at any moment now there could be another insurrection. Oh, no, another insurrection. You'll notice that the Biden administration is in charge. Democrats have majorities in Congress. Well, at least in the House and a de facto majority in the Senate. And there aren't riots all over the country. Republic, Republicans aren't we're not burning down everything. We're not throwing a fit because our guy isn't in charge. No, that's what the other side does. But one time. A handful in the grand scheme of things of Republicans got out of hand and rioted at Capitol Hill. And I don't even know if they call themselves Republicans, they probably thought of themselves as trumpers or right-wingers or whatever they want to self-identify as but one time we have to hear about it forever there is no proportionality in the thinking of the modern democrat left there's no sense of of what is truly reasonable and what is based in objective truth it's just whatever they want whatever they feel like saying whatever advances their desire Because that's really what their primary political motivator is. What do they want? It's not what's right, what's best, what works. What do they want? It's like the tantrum of a child running the United States government. And Joe Biden is just there to give voice to and placate and pander to those tantrums. Climate change is the greatest threat. No, no reasonable person who is capable of any wisdom, any any sound judgment goes. Yeah, that's right. Bigger, bigger. threat. We just went through a global pandemic, right? We could go through another one. You'd think that at least they'd say a worse version of COVID would be a bigger threat. You would think at least they'd recognize, I don't know, nuclear war with China is a bigger threat. Whole bunch of things you could put in there. But no, this is the commander in chief and our. Supposed expert class and all the journos, the clapping seals. All they do is just talk about how great Joe Biden is, how amazing Kamala is. I mean, she's not really amazing, but we're going to say she's amazing because we know we're supposed to say she's amazing. We all see it for what it is. At least you do if you're listening to this show. Because if you didn't, if you didn't see this based on what is real and what is true, you would you'd would be watching, uh, you know, MSNBC. You'd be reading the New York Times editorial page. You'd be woke. But no, you choose to live in the real world. So instead, you're here with me. And Biden, of course, talking tough on the world stage right now, a little less tough about the UK. You may have seen this one of our closest allies. I mean, I even have a hard time thinking of Canada is not really an an ally. It's a family member. Right. I mean, Canada, they're, they're not even a buddy. They're like our brother. Uh, but the U.K. is is right up there as as among our very closest allies and, and really kind of like a co- if Canada is our brother, the U.K. is a cousin. And already Biden's caused some some issues here. Uh, according to the, the U.K. Times, uh, Biden ordered U.S. officials to give Johnson, Boris Johnson, the prime minister on in the U.K., a di- uh, give a diplomatic rebuke, a demarche for putting the Northern Ireland peace process at risk over Brexit negotiations with the EU. The Biden folks are saying, oh, no, that's not true at all. You know, they're they're given this whole world tour about democracy is back and we stand together. I'm sure Boris Johnson remembers that Biden once called him a physical and emotional clone of Donald Trump and he didn't mean it as a compliment. I'm sure that there are other world leaders who can look at Joe Biden with clear eyes and understand that this is an individual who is neither mentally nor physically nor spiritually capable of being a leader in any meaningful way. But now he parades around the world because it makes Democrats feel better to have a guy with a D next to his name all the time who just does the bidding of the Democrat establishment, which is all Joe Biden has ever done. This is who he is. And yet, he talks about standing up to Russia, standing up to uh, enemies on on the world stage. Here he is. Play fourteen.
2: But I've been clear: the United States will respond in a robust and meaningful way when the Russian government engages in harmful activities. We've already demonstrated that. I'm going to communicate that there are consequences for violating for violating the sovereignty of democracies.
3: Con- there's going to be consequences, you know, For uh, you know, no joke, consequences. Yeah, you know, here I am, telling you, Russia. We're gonna, we're going to listen to me, folks. Listen to me. We're going to tell Putin. You better knock it off. Better knock it off.
1: Yeah, this is this is who this is. I mean, people always talk about how how they uh, the has always viewed Trump as the angry uncle at at Thanksgiving dinner made president. Joe Biden is the confused uncle that everybody has to sort of pat on the shoulder and say, OK, yes, we, we love the, the, the new board game that you built. That doesn't make sense to anybody. But congratulations. Right. That, that Joe Biden is an absurdity. And he is the Commander-in-Chief.
3: Global warming, folks. No joke. There I was in the Pentagon. And I said, you know, the biggest, I'm going to tell you right now, because I'm, I'm, I'm folksy. You notice I use the word folks, and I kind of do this thing where I'm going to repeat the same phrase that I've said a million times, but I'm going to just act like I'm leaning in, like you're my friend, because I've been doing politics for, you know, like 50 years. And and I've I've learned little tricks of the trade. So I never have to know anything. I don't have to understand. But if I just make my voice sound like this, and even though I'm from Delaware, start to sound like I'm maybe maybe I'm from the Midwest. Maybe I'm from the South. You can't really tell. See, I move all around. I'm Joe Biden. I'm like your friend at the dinner table. You know, I just hear to here to sort of breathy. Talk to you about some nonsense. And hey, here I am, commander in chief. It's amazing. This guy is
1: in charge, but he is, but he is. Oh, yes. You know who's, I'm sure, uh, shaking in his boots? Vladimir Putin. I'm sure he's terrified. Play 11.
2: I've been in and out of here many, many times. I've visited well over 100 countries as president or chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, or I mean, as vice president or chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. This is my first overseas trip as President of the United States. I'm heading to the G7, then to the NATO ministerial, and then to meet with Mr. Putin to let him know what I want him to know. (laughs) At every point along the way, we're going to make it clear that the United States is back, and democracies of the world are standing together to tackle the toughest challenges and the issues that matter most to our future. That we're committed to leading with strength, defending our values and delivering for our people. is better positioned to advance our national security and our economic prosperity when we bring together like-minded nations to stand with us.
1: Every speech that Joe Biden has ever given, pretty much, you could just put at any point in history and say this is a politician giving a speech. That's who this guy is. So he's always been. We're standing up for our value.
3: I'm not gonna tell you what the values are. I'm standing up for our values. Gonna be back. Gonna do this thing where I bring you down here with my voice, and then all of a sudden I get loud. Cause that means I'm serious.
1: No joke. Yeah. This is the guy who's not the leader of the free world, everybody. Meanwhile, Back at home, how are things going? Oh, that's right. U.S. inflation at a 13-year high. Prices surging 5%. Gee, it turns out when you spend money like there is no tomorrow, things start getting a lot more expensive for everybody tomorrow.
4: Uh, and using this meeting as an opportunity to move our interests forward. So it's not about friendship. They have known each other for a long time. They have a lot of disagreements. But this is going to be a candid conversation. It's going to be a straightforward conversation. The president's going to raise areas where he has concern, whether it's the ransomware attacks mm-hmm. or the aggression on the border of Ukraine or human rights abuses. But they're all- also, areas we think we can work together: nuclear stability. We we signed an extension of New Start. Uh, Russia is an important partner as it relates to the Iran nuclear deal, where negotiations are ongoing. So we want to move to a more stable and predictable relationship. That's in our interest. We don't want it to be adversarial and always heightened. Uh, and that's what we're hopeful this will be the beginning of, of the start. Too.
1: I just wanted you all to hear that because, wait, now all of a sudden Democrats don't want an adversarial relationship with Russia. That's what she just said. For four years, we heard that Russia had quite literally undermined our democracy by putting a Kremlin agent in the White House as president through stealing an election in 2016. This is what our lunatic, dishonest media was telling everybody for four years. And now it's, well, you know, we're going to we're going to talk tough to Putin, but we don't want an adversarial relationship. You don't want an adversarial relationship. I I thought Russia was our biggest concern. I thought Russia was hiding under my bed and I had to be terrified that Russia was going to jump out of the shadows at any moment. Putin and the Kremlin were just going to attack me. That's if you believed the corporate Democrat media for the last four years. Well, until this year, Russia was a was a horrible country working in all kinds of ways to attack us and undermine us and doing all these things. And look, I've been very critical of Putin for a long time as as others have on the right. He's not a good guy. I mean there's no, there's no confusion about this. I mean he is an authoritarian. But Democrats like authoritarians. The the great lie that the Democrats tell themselves is that they they're the party of you know the they they're the party of liberty, the party of the people, of democracy. When really it is the Democrats who are all about Consolidation of power through a state apparatus and then wielding that as a political bludgeon instrument against anybody who disagrees. It is the Democrats who want to shut down free speech. It is the Democrats who want to shut down the free exercise of religion. It is the Democrats who want to make you mask up and stay home when they say so because they say so. And just go down the list. They're the ones that want to. In Maoist cultural revolution style, politicize absolutely everything and make effective human sacrifices out of people who get caught up in the machinery of wokeness. They view this as somehow advancing the country's interest. They think this is better for all of us. Yes, that's great. Use racial Marxism to divide us all and then. Make sure that there is no grace or mercy or decency in our politics toward those you disagree with. It's not that they're wrong. It's that they're evil. It's not that they disagree. It's that they're bad. This is central to the Democrat ethos today, unfortunately, for this country. It is a different Democrat Party than it was 10 years ago, certainly than it was 50 years ago. And they think they're the great friends of democracy. They're certainly not the great friends of the Constitution and individual liberty. That much is clear. Uh, They are the party of authoritarians. They are the party of the state, big S state. And yet they go around talking about how, yes, now now America's back, Biden says. We didn't go anywhere. Where did they get this idea that America was disappearing or had disappeared? That's just not true. The media created a false narrative. We'll talk about the false narrative of the clearing of Lafayette Square later. Uh, which was a big lie, another big lie the media told about Trump, but it served the purpose at the time, so they're fine with it. There, there's no embarrassment from them. You have to remember that. They don't care. Um, but they, they're they working so hard now to create a a vision of Biden, the great statesman traversing the globe after Kamala Harris completely flopped in Guatemala and Mexico. We all know it. We all saw it. But The problem that they're going to have to deal with is that the results of this Biden administration are already starting to show up and they are not good. When you're talking about U.S. inflation at a 13-year high, what you're saying is inflation is the worst since the financial crisis. Since uh, August of 2008, consumer inflation up considerably. This follows a 4.2 rise for the year uh, in April. All right, the core price index, which excludes the volatile categories of food and energy, rose 3.8% in May from a year before, the largest increase for that reading since June of 1992, according to the Wall Street Journal. Prices for used cars and trucks leapt 7.3% from the previous month, driving one-third of the rise in the overall index. On a month-to-month basis, overall prices rose 0.6%. Friends, you're making less money now. Your dollars go less far. You have less buying power. Your bank account is worth less. All those hours you put to have those numbers on the screen, the Democrat policies of. Wild overspending and just acting like nothing. Matter. And look, yes, it is true what the Republicans, the Republicans spent too much money. Donald Trump, yes spent too much money as well. That is true. I'm not going to walk away from that or pretend it didn't happen. But it's one thing when you find out your kid ran up $500 on the family credit card without you. It's another thing when the kid's like, yeah, I'm going to run up ten grand." Right? You can say that both of these things are bad ideas and one of them is a lot worse than the other. This is what the Democrats are doing. They are spending. They are, are uh, dragging the economy down. And they're taking a redistributive approach to everything, to power in society, to money, uh, to our rights are I mean, they're Marxists on so many levels. It's all about finding the divides between people and then just promise to equal things out, create greater equity at the expense of individual rights, at the expense of what is actually right, because it makes some people feel better. Father's Day is around the corner, and if your dad or grandfather served this great country of ours, how cool would it be to give him something meaningful this year? Something that recognized what he gave to this country. Something like the American flag. If you know your father or grandfather would be moved by a gift like this, then let me recommend you to my friends at Allegiance Flag Supply. Everything this country means to your dad is reflected in the quality of the craftsmanship Allegiance Flag Supply puts into all their flags. And these are flags that are made in America, which is actually really uncommon, believe it or not. They are hand sewn by seamstresses in Charleston, South Carolina, who had lost jobs previously to companies outsourcing overseas. And they're made with materials that do not allow for cutting corners in the manufacturing process. All of this translates into a flag that waves proudly outside your father's home, his dock or on his boat and won't get tangled, torn or shredded which happens to so many other flags in the marketplace because they're cheaply made, they're made in China, and honestly, the people making them don't care. Allegiance Flag Supply cares about this country, about patriotism, and about getting you the best, highest quality made-in-America flags you'll ever see. This is a way to say thank you to dad on multiple levels this Father's Day. Go to showallegiance.com and enter promo code BUCK to get 10% off your order. That also lets them know you heard about them here on the show. Go to showallegiance.com, that's the website, and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order and get yours in time for Father's Day on June 20th. That's showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off. So how is fumbling, bumbling Biden doing on the world stage? Is he annoying some of our good dear friends over in the uk not a, not an auspicious start we have our friend raheem kassam with us now to talk about this he is the co-host of the war room podcast which i'm sure you all know very well he also is the editor of the national pulse go to nationalpulse.com for their latest reporting raheem great to have you thank
5: you for having me and congratulations
1: i appreciate that sir we're going to have you on the other show soon too and I want to know what you think so far about Biden deciding to uh, demarche, we are told, to, to give a stern lecture to Johnson's people, Boris Johnson of the U.K. over Northern Ireland. Not not what friends not what friends are supposed to do to friends during trips like this, Raheem.
5: Well, I mean, Biden is 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 really trying to uh, execute a grudge here. Remember, the the Brexit campaign was interfered with by his boss, Barack Obama, who traveled to the United Kingdom ahead of the Brexit referendum in 2016 to say, if you vote for this, you will go to the back of the queue for any trade deals that you possibly might want to do with other nations around the world. The United States obviously being one of the most important trading partners for the United Kingdom around the world. And Obama's threats, remember, didn't work. The British public rose up on june the 23rd of 2016 and said uh, um you know with a with a with a pretty big majority i mean 52 versus 48 doesn't sound like a lot but actually we, the, the the percentage difference there it's not a four percent difference the percentage difference from one to the other and now the percentage difference in the approval i think it's like 70 percent approval now brexit it really has backfired on the globalists so of course joe biden wants to trot on over there after he's dealt with the cicadas, of course, at at Dulles, trot on over to the United Kingdom and say, well, look, we warned you, we warned you this was going to happen. The British public don't care. What they care about is that they have the uh, uh, autonomy now to do their own trade deals on the world stage, that they have the autonomy to make their own laws in their own parliament and hold to account those people who are making their laws. Of course, there was always going to be some difficulty. Nobody pretended there wasn't going to be some difficulty, whether it was on the Irish border, whether it was, you know, trading with the EU itself. All of those things are totally natural and will appeal to Americans as being totally natural because America still remembers what it was like developing its own uh, nation after 1776, Uh, what Hamilton had to do, the report on the subject of manufacturers, all of that. And that's happening in a, on a smaller scale, but that's happening in Britain again today. Joe Biden has, a, has, a, has, a, uh, has an interest in Boris Johnson, let's put it this way. Boris Johnson is a globalist. He, he, he masquerades as a conservative, sometimes even masquerades as a libertarian. But his wife, his new wife, worked at the uh, Clinton Global Initiative, one of their subsidiaries. Uh, and, and Boris Johnson has actually taken the United Kingdom through a pretty authoritarian uh, lockdown this last year and a half. So Joe Biden is very interested in, in, in sort of forcing Boris Johnson to heal. Uh, unfortunately, it's just going to make Boris Johnson less popular with the, with the British public and make Joe Biden and sadly America uh, more unpopular with the British public, too.
1: What is it about Brexit, Raheem, that so upsets American leftists and the Democrat Party, you know, the Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, AOC axis. They hate Brexit. And I mean, obviously, with Pelosi and Biden, it's not like they really know much about it, but they know they're supposed to hate it. Why?
5: (laughs) Well, it's very simple. It's, It's nationism, right? It's nationism versus globalism. The idea that you should control your own destiny, the idea that your vote actually might mean something. You may actually be able to hold your politicians to account. Of course, politicians hate the idea of this. But for American politicians that have, that have used their several decades in power to to sap America out, to bleed America out, to export America out to other countries, to trash the manufacturing industry in the country and all of this, what Brexit was, was not a, um, you know, crescendo of a pro-nation movement around the world. It was the first brick out of the wall so now they look at things that they like like the united nations and the world health organization and all of these other bodies that they have tried to put together to put bureaucrats bureaucrats like fauci in to control what's actually going on in terms of policy while people think they control what's going on policy by using their vote at the ballot box that that brexit movement was a brick out of the wall in the wider globalist project and you know what you know what's really interesting about it. You know, COVID nineteen and authoritarian lockdowns aside, before that all happened, there were just these incredible green shoots of of economic prosperity. Um, you know, manifesting themselves in the United Kingdom, people wanted to invest again in such a massive way. And of course, they the, the, the Bidens, the Pelosi's, and all the others they cannot afford to let that happen.
1: We're speaking to Raheem Kassam, co-host of the War Room podcast and editor of the National. Uh, National Pulse. Go check out nationalpulse dot com for their latest. And Rahim, a lot of well, it's it's supposed to sound tough, but it's very vague when it comes to what Biden's saying about Russia. You know, we have the the White House press secretary saying, "Well, we don't want to be confrontational with Russia." And Biden giving giving his speech on the way out on it before his trip, saying, "You know, oh, I'm going to talk to Putin, and it's going to be tough." You know, we're, we're yeah, not not really clear on what count. exactly that means. I just think there's there's almost a like a multiple personality disorder from the Democrats on Russia. So is Russia hiding under their bed, doing doing collusion and destroying our democracy? Or should we work with them? It seems like they can't figure out what the line's supposed to be.
5: They can't figure it out because actually the Democratic Party has, a, has a, and, and the Democratic Party machine actually has a waning um, grip on foreign policy. Um, they, they fundamentally misunderstand geopolitically, the world as it is today. They misunderstood Brexit. They misunderstood Bolsonaro in Brazil. They misunderstood Modi in India. They misunderstand quite a lot of things all around the world. And so they're, they're on the fly attempting to make new, new kind of um, you know, geopolitical strictures up in their minds. Uh, this may sound like a kind of a, a niche point, but for instance, the DC think tank circuit, right, which is a multi billion dollar industry here in Washington, DC, really used to control all of that policy papers, briefings, meetings, lectures, seminars, uh, you know, one-on-ones, all of that. But actually, the DT think tank circuit was left utterly stunned and rebuked by what happened both in the United Kingdom and in the United States in 2016. And they've never really recovered from that. They find it harder and harder to fundraise. They find it harder and harder to convey their ideas. And it was really the globalists and the Democrats who used them as the kind of intellectual vanguard of where geopolitically they should stand. The Democrats don't have that anymore. So they're all over the place. Yes, you're right to find out They're all over the place on Russia. And they get played, by the way, by everybody. They got played in the CCP's virus. They're getting played by Russia now. And they'll be played by other actors over the coming uh, months and years as well. I mean, do you really think I mean, who would you choose in a chess match? Right. Would you choose Vladimir Putin? Would you choose Kamala Harris? And let's all just be honest about that. Um, would you choose Joe? I don't think you could even choose Joe Biden because as a, as a, if he was if this was Street Fighter and he was on your screen as a potential thing, it would be character gray and locked out. Joe Biden is asleep. So so geopolitically speaking, um, I mean, this is a really interesting point that not enough people are talking about now. We actually kind of have uh, a vacuum of leadership in the world.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? Because because Biden's actually going around and his favorite talking point is. American leadership is back and democracies unite. And I'm just asking, one, when did when when was American leadership gone under Trump? And two, when were we not united with democracies? Exactly. The whole thing just feels so phony
5: it is funny they have to build a straw man up to knock it down um you know most people now realize and if you look at the polling i've been looking a lot of the a lot of the uh rasmussen polling recently uh some of the others out there if you look at all of that i mean uh, institutionally speaking americans have a uh, have a uh, less confidence in their institutions both domestically and foreign policy wise uh, than almost ever before i think the media's approval rating was at nine percent two years ago Imagine what that is today. So the Democrats have to find straw men to knock down. Kamala Harris tried it in, in on her recent trip. I'm going to study the root causes. It was a disaster. I mean, it was an embarrassment. And even the left media are saying that Kamala Harris's trip was an embarrassment. Um, so I think they are in for a, or rather, are in the midst of experiencing an incredibly rude awakening. Um, people don't think they're legitimate in, in any way.
1: Speaking to Raheem Kassam, co-host of the War Room podcast, you can get wherever you listen to your podcast. Raheem, I wanted to switch gears with you for a second to it turns out the story from last year that Donald Trump as the you know, the, the second coming of of like Mussolini. Eliminated protesters from the square for a photo op. Remember this one? I mean, you yep. you run a website. You know what it is to be dealing with the news cycle every day, as well as doing commentary and, and analysis on your on your podcast. What I'm trying to convey to my audience all the time now is understand that they aren't when these things happen. Yes, we have to point it out, and yes, we have to to set the record straight. But they're not the the Democrat corporate media is not embarrassed by this. Their attitude is. We got away with another one. It worked when it had to work.
5: Yeah, there's, there's, but there's no accountability in media, right? The 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 entire premise of of the First Amendment, which the media, by the way, is called, is constantly attacking for people like you and me. Um, but the entire premise of the First Amendment that they that they hide behind uh, when it, when it comes to them is that you you know speech is free, and that's fine. But when there's accountability behind that speech, the media runs screaming for the hills. And I'm just talking about accountability in terms of uh, people should be fired uh, for misreporting things. People should be mocked and ridiculed and humiliated, uh, as, as so many of these people should be. I mean, look at the Hunter Biden hard drive from hell, which, by the way, I'm standing in the very room that I stood when I received that drive all those months ago and started pouring through it. You look at the COVID nineteen and the CCP virus stuff, and, and whether it was made in the lab, and that was a conspiracy theory. And and now most people are like, well, yeah, I mean, that probably is what happened. There aren't actually any bats around that area. So there's there's never been anybody held accountable in the media for not just telling these lies, but regurgitating the lies of bureaucrats and politicians who lied to the American public for their own personal gain. That that that. Interview between Chuck Todd and Dr. Fauci yesterday is case in point of all of it. Chuck Todd knows that Dr. Fa he knows that Dr. Fauci is telling lies, but he goes out there anyway and acts as his public relations executive uh, live on national television. So, so what does accountability look like? You know, how do how do you actually get the these reporters, these stenographers that sit in the White House uh, uh, press room, uh, to be held accountable to uh, to their actions when? You know, they're not going to lose their jobs because they're employed by these big corporate entities that have a, a an interest in keeping them lying to the public. I don't know quite yet what it looks like, but I do know that many people are asking questions about what it's going to look like.
1: Check out my friend Raheem Kassam's podcast, War Room, with Steve Bannon, Raheem Kassam and Jason Miller. Raheem, great to have you, man. We'll talk to you soon.
5: Thank you, bud. Cheers.
1: Another big lie the media told about Trump. During the election year, no less, and magnified for maximum political impact. And it was all bull. All false. Collection of headlines here gives you a sense of what the reality is. Park police plan to clear area before Trump photo op. Watchdog says that's the New York Times. Watchdog report finds park police did not clear racial injustice protesters from Lafayette Park for Trump's visit uh, to the area. Uh, Washington Post, the lingering questions about the clearing, the clearing of Lafayette Square. Um, Fox News has it. Police did not clear Lafayette Square so Trump could pose for photo with the Bible, Inspector General says. Yeah. So let's all just take a moment here to be clear on what happened. The Interior Department... Okay, has an inspector general who investigated uh, whether or not Donald Trump, as was reported all across the anti-Trump media, they said he had tear gas deployed, non-lethal weapons against protesters, police brutality, violence, cats and dogs living,
3: living together, mass
1: hysteria, right? All this horrible stuff. It was all for a photo op with a Bible because Trump is such a monster. Except that's not true. It's a lie. This is what the Interior Department Inspector General report actually says. Quote, the evidence did not support that the Park Police had cleared the area for, for Mr. Trump, uh, who strode through it on June 1st of 2020 before posing for photographs in front of St. John's Episcopal Church holding a Bible. Uh, the 30-page report by the Interior Department's Inspector General offers new details about the Park Police's decision-making. And... So, folks, I mean, what else what else do we really need to see here I and mean, what else do we really need to know? They lied again about Trump. Another lie about Trump. It was not a photo op. And this was one week after the death of George Floyd and following, you know, all the riots that BLM was setting up all over the place. So the park police decided that they had to have a contractor come in to set up a fence to stop the uh, continued violent protests from, from going on. Um, it's, it's just un- unreal. Unreal. And they said there may have been inadequate communications between federal officials, but that effectively, what, what the storyline was, as reported in the media at the time, was evil fascist Trump tear gases, peaceful protesters who weren't peaceful. What was going on outside the White House and on the streets of D.C. at this point was chaos, bedlam, madness. Oh, because of social justice. Yeah, sure. It was all really about that. And they they told this story about Trump and it was just not true. It was just, it was a lie and they didn't care that it wasn't true and they don't care that it's not true now. And this is the important part. This is what, I want you all to remember the media now exists as warring propaganda machines. The media exists to push points of view. And those who pretend they're not doing that are often the biggest frauds and the ones you must be on the most guard against. So let's call it the CNNs of the world. They're, they're the biggest liars. But this was just part of an of another in a series of breathtaking headlines, oh my gosh, from the corporate media, the anti-Republican, anti-Trump corporate media. And it it was just not true. All right, they were planning to clear the square before Trump was doing anything. Had nothing to do with Trump. But that's not how it was reported at the time because they lied about him whenever they felt like it because they thought that even lying about Trump was righteous and moral because he's so bad You got to lie about them. That was their viewpoint. Those who have experienced Marxism, those who have lived in societies overrun with social justice warriors of one kind or another are critical at this point in American history because they can tell us about their experiences and what really happens when you have people who believe putting the collective and putting the state over the individual is a pathway to heaven when, as we know, it is unfortunately a conveyor belt to hell. It ruins societies. It ruins countries because it negates universal truths and ignores essential components of human nature and the reality of life all around us. Marxism is a fallacy when it comes to human nature when it comes to history, uh, when it comes to morality. And yet, it has infected so much of the modern world and the largest single communist country, as you know, and I understand that it now has state-directed market activity and has become very wealthy, but the largest communist country in the world is, in fact, China, the People's Republic of China. The Chinese Communist Party runs it. There are many institutions. They'll talk about a... Central Committee and Politburo and all these institutions are borrowed directly from Soviet communism, at least in their structure and their naming, for a reason. People who point out that China is essentially a mafia state don't necessarily seem to understand that, yeah, so was the Soviet Union, folks. That was also a mafia state of sorts. Thugs with absolute power running things for their benefit and the benefit of their cronies, all under the pretense of what's good for the people. The difference between, there are many differences between the Chinese approach and the Soviet approach. The Chinese recognize that without markets, you can't compete. Without market incentives, you'll, you'll never be wealthy enough to enforce your will against the capitalist states and the free world. So a, a Virginia mom, though, this was up on FoxNews.com today, a Virginia mom who actually escaped from Mao's cultural revolution in China, which started right around 1966, I believe it was, she spoke up about critical race theory. She spoke up about what actually she sees going on in America today and... She has a direct, uh, she, she's making direct comparison between critical race theories, teachings of racial Marxism, as I keep telling you, and the approach of the cultural revolution in communist China under Mao Zedong. This is what this mother said at this school board meeting in Virginia. Play it.
6: I've, I've been very alarmed, by. For- what's going on in our school. You are now teaching, training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. Uh, Growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. During the Cultural Revolution, I witnessed students and teachers turn against each other. We changed school names to be politically correct. We were taught to denounce our heritage. The Red Guards destroy anything that is not communist—old statues, books, and anything else. We are also encouraged to report on each other, just like the uh, Student Equity Ambassador Program and the Bias Reporting System. This is indeed the American version of the Chinese communist, the Chinese Cultural Revolution. The critical race theory has its roots in cultural Marxism. It should have no place in our schools.
1: There was a period in America, roughly the 19 uh, early 1970s, where because the the Soviet communism had become so obviously decrepit and so clearly horrific through Stalin's purges and then just the continued police state apparatus, uh, most infamous of the KGB. But the KGB went through various iterations, different. It was the NKVD, and there were different uh, variations of of the secret police in Russia, um, stretching all the way back to the Cheka and the Okhrana. But by the time the 1970s rolled around, anybody who was not just a truly delusional and abject moron fellow traveler of Soviet communism realized the Soviet Union hasn't actually created a worker's paradise. It's misery and deprivation and poverty. So what did they do? What did the American left do? Well, they all of a sudden developed a fondness for Maoism. That's right. And the, and the Western left as well. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, for example, the French intellectual, uh, he used to sell copies of a banned Maoist newspaper back in Paris in the 70s. And uh, you had the Rolling Stones interrupted a concert in 1970 at the Palais des Sports in Paris, in Paris. They brought a French Maoist they called Serge Julai on stage so they could celebrate Maoism in the West, you see. That was cool. If you're a rocker, yeah, Maoism, yeah. Man, isn't that hip? That guy Mao, he really knows what's up. Oh, and then the Cultural Revolution story started to come out and then people started to learn more as well about the Great Leap Forward and the famine and the millions and millions of people who were killed as a direct result, sometimes at the direct order of state policy. But there's the famine and then later on there was there's Mao's Great Famine and then there's the Cultural Revolution In part to shut down any inquiry or criticism about the fact that Mao's moronic communist policies, thuggish, idiotic policies. And it's starting to sound a little bit like how we describe some people in this country, right? Uh, That they resulted in mass death and deprivation and starvation and the usage of hunger as a weapon against dissidents. That was a a classic Maoist tactic during the uh, during the Great Leap Forward and the famine. Uh, but you start, to, you start to look at these stories and what happened. I mean, this woman, uh, this mother in Virginia was talking about the Red Guards. They were basically a, a paramilitary youth organization of college students and high school students. Oh, what a surprise. They went for the young, easily misled, very emotional idiots and had them do a lot of the dirty work. The Red Guards would engage. This is this is under Mao's Cultural Revolution. Okay, when people talk about a Maoist struggle session, or we should really know about this. It went on from 1966 until 1976. About a million people, uh, more like a million and a half, they think, were murdered as a result of this over the course of ten years. About a, over you know a million and a half in this country. We're told that it's a national crisis because the state, through police, killed, I think it was nine unarmed black men, and not even necessarily illegally, uh, in 2018 it was. I think that was the number. It might have been 14 the year after that. In Mao's China, from 1976 to 19, uh, 1966 to 76, about 1.5 million people killed directly as a result of state policy. Murdered. China just pretends like it didn't even happen. What kind of things occurred during this cultural revolution? And it was all about getting rid of the old ways of thinking. You could say that the cultural revolution was very progressive in that sense. They wanted to get rid of the four olds, they called it. Old thinking, old culture, old custom, and the old habits of exploitation. This is where the class warfare thing came in. Can you start to see the comparison? Why am I telling you about this? Not just for the sake of a fascinating, terrifying part of our history, which, as you know, I find worth knowing just in the first place. But this mother who survived this period, this, this Chinese-American mother who fled Mao's Cultural Revolution, is warning about what happened there, happening here in different ways, but similar enough that she's deeply concerned, that she's frightened. Separation of people, the balkanization that's occurring. Get rid of the old ways of thinking. Tear down, oh, I don't know, old heroes. Tear down the, uh, the emblems of the past that united people in a nation. Focus in on their divisions and exacerbate them. Turn them against each other. Make them hate each other. Promise them that if you, the party, so to speak, if you are in power, you will create equity. You'll make those divisions go away because you'll make everybody the same, but you're going to need a lot of authority to do that, and you're going to have to destroy a lot of what came before, you know, like the patriarchy, for example, or pull down Columbus statues, or get rid of the founding fathers, stuff like that. You want to eliminate all that from the public's mind. You want, and, and not just erase it, but degrade it, defame it. Make it something that people are ashamed of. And anybody who stands in the way of that, you have to punish them. You have to, you could say, cancel them. Are you seeing some of these comparisons? This woman who saw this in China is seeing the seeds of it growing here in America, and she's concerned. I say we listen to her and take this seriously. How did Mao's Communist China get the Cultural Revolution going? Who, who do they rely on? Uh, yes, the mobilization of the youth were essential in this, essential. They preyed upon their idealism and their lack of life experience and wisdom, to create the red guards as the mother in virginia who's now gone viral the chinese american mother who says she's worried about cultural revolution here in america she mentioned specifically the red guards well what what level of of extremism were the uh, were the communist leaders able to to put into the minds of of the young well during the cultural revolution at one of the at probably the most elite high school in Beijing in the whole country, where both Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping, later premier of China, uh, had, their, had their children go to school there. At least uh, they each had daughters go there. They, the students at that school beat a teacher named Bian Zongyun to death. And later on, there were posters about this that cultural revolutionaries across China would display. They, they thought this was something to be proud of. And, and do you know what their explanation for why this teacher was beaten to death was? There was an earthquake drill, and she, while evacuating the students, had failed to rescue a portrait on the wall of Mao Zedong. You left the Mao portrait in the classroom. Now we must beat you to death because you got to be canceled. Taking a little step further. Where's the humanity? Where's the decency? Where's the perspective? No, no, no. The young you see are so easy to mobilize in this form of absolutism. The young are so quick to think that they're going to transform the world and make it perfect or they're being exploited their naivete exploited by the most cynical and duplicitous and despicable older people like mao zedong and those around him i mean you to give you a sense of how much this still affects thinking in china uh, there was a fellow who was paraded around by the red guards named Ji Jun. and of course my Mandarin is non-existent, so I apologize if some of my names here are not lining up perfectly, but Zhong Jun was a communist revolutionary, but Mao no longer liked him, so the Red Guards paraded him around Beijing on a truck and were beating him publicly as struggle sessions. See, this guy's bad now. We beat him. Because he's not part of our glorious revolution. It was so bad, in fact, that his wife was forced to denounce their son. You might be wondering, Buck, why are you telling us about this Zhe uh, Jun fellow? Well, because the son that he denounced or that she denounced, rather, that the wife denounced was Xi Jinping, the current premier of China. This is not ancient history I'm talking about here. This is my parents' generation in China. This is now the leadership of China went through this. This was not long ago. And Xi's sister during this, Xi Jinping, the current premier of China, he had to flee and lived in a cave for a long time because the Cultural Revolution got so out of control. And Xi Jinping's sister was under so much pressure and received so much hatred from the, the vanguard of the revolution, and the Red Guard specifically, that she committed suicide. There were millions of young people who were, who were exiled to the countryside by Mao's apparatus of, of terror and this, this great Chinese purge. What did it, now this is where you start to see the, again, the, the similarities here. What was the revolution even about just getting rid of everything before erase everything in society that had held people together here that they believed in? Get rid of their cultural traditions, their religious traditions, and we're going to make something new. You know, like, I don't know, getting rid of all gender tradition, for example, getting rid of gender as a concept, that would be one way to dramatically change a society. Instead of allowing people to have a story of an America that grew over time and dealt with its injustices and which there were good guys and bad guys. But in the end, America has always been moving in the right direction and say, no, what came before was evil and awful and still is to this day. Unless you put us in charge and we mean of everything, the culture, your schools, your politics, the economy, everything, what you can say, the words you can use. And if you step out of line, if you stand against us, we'll crush you. We'll cancel you. You can see the ways these mentalities line up. Sure, it's more extreme in the context of China. We don't have people who are being beaten in the public square, but we do have cops all across the country being hit with bottles of urine and beaten with rocks, because of the BLM movement, which is based on the idea that the state is engaged in racist murder as a component of the omnipresent white supremacy in America today. These are pretty foundational attacks on our society, aren't they? The people in charge, mind you, right now, the ones in the Democrat Party that are pushing this stuff, They want more power for the state, not less. They just want all the safeguards, all the individual rights, all the uh, constitutional protections to be gone. They want to wage their own version of what is an American cultural revolution. Look, it shouldn't matter what your politics are, who you voted for when it comes to using online platforms and just using the Internet. But it does. You don't have the right to express yourself freely. You have big tech looking over your shoulder censoring surveilling and suppressing you do you want to fight back you can take control of the internet of your privacy for yourself by using express vpn all right when you use express vpn it's just an app you have on your computer or phone you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your ip address that makes your activity much more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. Revoke big techs right to your data. All it takes is one click. It's really easy to do. ExpressVPN, that's where you have to go. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. This is the VPN I trust for online protection. Just go to this website, expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free with my exclusive link, one more time, that's expressvpn.com slash buck. Revoke big tech's right to your data. Create privacy for yourself online. Expressvpn.com slash buck.
4: This term cancel culture, I, I don't agree with this term cancel culture. I I, I think this is about consequences, consequence culture. Um, and, you know, there are consequences, I think, to things that he said. And this is just sort of not the, the first time that he has made his opinion known. I mean, he at one point, I think, uh, called uh, Rachel Lindsay angry when when she says, in fact, she was just sort of sticking up for herself, sort of leaning into that angry black woman and um, it does seem like he still has work to do. He did say that he, uh, in his interview that Sarah was uh, referencing in, uh, with GMA, he said he was seeking guidance from a race educator and strategist uh, who's teaching him how to learn from that experience um, and move forward. And so can he, you know, work again in this industry? Of course I think he can. Um, I think people uh, want to see uh, folks learn when it comes especially to anti-racism. And he He's got, you know, an eight figure severance pay is my understanding. I think that's what's being reported. And so he's going to be well compensated.
1: So let's just justify hypersensitivity from the woke left. That's what this this uh, legal analyst on The View, again, the dumbest talk show on television, the the lowest general IQ discussion about politics you will find anywhere in you know, mainstream television is The View. So just start with that. It is the dumbest show about politics on TV. I think you would get better politics watching a show about people who live in like the Canadian Arctic trying to keep themselves warm by not, you know, by, and living off the grid. You'll, you'll learn more about politics that's worthwhile from that than you will The View. But notice that the, the changing of the terminology here is the go-to. No, it's not cancel culture. It's consequence culture. Our problem is not with the words. Our problem is not with how we're describing this. What is cancel culture? What it really turns into is social pressure and professional consequence for people who stand in the way of the left wing cultural revolution that's underway. That's what it is. It is the weaponization phase of the cultural revolution that the American left is pushing right now in this country. You sometimes get caught up in it because you try to stop it. And then, of course, you're a target that they want to completely destroy. But there are others who are a warning, if you will. They fall somewhat in the more collateral damage category or, you know, yeah, maybe we So we bombed the wrong target. But at least everybody knows that we'll drop bombs on people. That's the idea you get from the left. That's their view of how all of this plays out. Chris Harrison. Look, I I don't watch The Bachelor. I don't care about The Bachelor. In the 20 years that it has been on, I've been forced by a few dates in my life to watch an episode or two of it. And I don't understand why when it's one guy with, with 20 beautiful women fighting over him, why women like this? This is not what dating is like in real life. This is a totally artificial circumstance. The women are all being kind of, uh, you know, a- a- attacking each other and undermining each other. And it, the whole thing to me seems to undermine women's value in the dating pool and in society. I don't think it's, it's finding love. I think the whole thing is so forced and absurd. But again, I don't watch network television. As a result, so I think that it's it's ninety percent brainless. Uh, but anyway, look. I mean, this guy Chris Harrison is you know, like well, you, hear, you hear he's a nice guy. I mean, I don't know. I've never met him. I mean, I've heard from people. I've heard from people who know people in the entertainment industry. This is like three levels removed that he's a nice guy. But what did he do? And we're if we're going to say this is about consequence, okay. My problem isn't that there shouldn't be consequences in society for people, obviously. So there's a dishonesty in trying, to, in trying to change the terminology. I've heard other leftists say this too, but they know that cancel culture because it's vicious and stupid enough in practice has started to come with a negative connotation. So they want to move the terms to give them more political clout to use for more cancellation. This is how you get liberals, become progressives, become democratic socialists, become liberals again, become progressives. You know, this is what they do when the term gets polluted that the left is using uh, because of the recognition of the reality of what it means and what it does. They just want to use a different term. Oh, let's just change the words. You know, let's figure this out. You know, in time, they realize that it's tough to argue that illegal immigration is legal because it's called illegal for a reason, right? So now it's uh, undocumented. Well, that's not a legal issue, right? You just, you just need a document. You know, undocumented, not a big deal, right? You see how they do this? And Chris Harrison, what did he do? He uh, defended a, a woman, Rachel Kirkconnell, who was a contestant on the show, and I believe was engaged to marry a a black man, if my memory is correct here. Um, and uh, she, it, it came out that she had attended a antebellum themed fraternity party years ago, and she uh, and, and so then it was she was racist and she was a terrible person. This is all the stuff that we heard engaged to marry a black man at the time, uh, but she's clearly so racist because she went to this antebellum-themed party. And uh, all, all that Chris Harrison is guilty of with this is saying, hey, can we maybe show a little grace and forgiveness here to her? I, I really don't think she's a racist. More or less, that's what he said. He didn't say what she did is okay. He didn't say racism is fine or any, anything like that. He just said, maybe can we ease up a little bit? Can we show a little, just like in the Cultural Revolution? Do you think the Red Guards were going to be okay with somebody saying, hey, do you really need to beat elderly writers in public for like for the amusement of crowds by saying that they're undermining the revolution? Do you think that's really a, a decent, humane thing to do? Do you think if you, if you had said that to them, they're okay with it? They're like, yeah, you know what, you're right. Maybe we'll stop being such vicious psychos. No, of course not. Now you're a problem. You're in the way. Now you get got to. Chris Harrison says, let's not be so vicious. Let's understand the context here. She apologized. You know, People have learned more about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable practice and these sorts of things. That's in many ways a direct threat. Decency and mercy are a direct threat to the, the American left's cultural revolution aims. Because the moment you start to see your fellow Americans as people who make mistakes and everybody's imperfect and we all have our challenges and we all have our insecurities and maybe there's something about our common human experience that should always hold us together and we should seek to be to be kind and to elevate one another. And, and, you know, instead of allowing that to start to flourish, it's let's have more speeches by that total lunatic psychiatrist who showed up at Yale said she wants to shoot white people in the head and she'll feel good about it afterwards. And by the way, she hasn't backed down from any of this at all. I mean, that woman is truly I mean, she hates white people. She does. This professor Kilinani or Dr. Kilinani, she's actually an M.D. She hates white people. She's made that very clear. Or she says she hates whiteness. This is the new game that's being played by the left, by the way. It's not white people that are the problem. It's whiteness. That's the problem. Oh, oh, okay yeah imagine trying to make that sort of separation with any other group of people, the people described as being a certain skin color versus just the color of their skin. I mean this is but again, controlling the language, controlling people's psychology, this is where the this is actually what the left excels in. this is it's it's uh, destructive, it's evil, but it it does work. anyway, they want they they view Harrison. Um, as somebody, yeah, I, I know he's getting a big pad and everything, but he, he w- he went through the machine. I mean, they they said that he's a problem. They attacked this guy. the The message has been sent. The message. Is, by the way, he's getting a payout because it's contractual, and you know they haven't been able to find a way to nullify contracts uh, as a result of cancel culture quite yet. But trust me, when they can get away with it, they will. But I mean, this is this is madness. Do you think that Hunter Biden is going to lose? a single dollar of income? Do you think that Hunter Biden is going to uh, be treated as though he's a pariah from society? This is a guy who impregnates strippers and denies paternity and does drugs and gets kicked out of the military and is a crackhead and is, a, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, this guy's a total mess. And I'm sorry, you know, Joe Biden is his dad, okay? There's something something up here. But do you think that Hunter Biden's N-word text messages are going to result in any consequences. Remember, it's consequence culture now for him. No, of course not. Because just as it was for Mao, it's not really about purifying society to make it better. It's about having unchecked power within a society to do whatever you want. It's about my team versus your team. That's what cultural revolution is. You do what we say or else, The narratives of injustice and struggle and division and oppression are just the means to mobilize our side against your side. It doesn't matter if you actually oppress. It doesn't matter if you're actually uh, an exploitative capitalist or a racist or any of these things. You will be treated as such unless you do what we say. That is the essence of a Maoist cultural revolution, and that is the essence of what is going on in America today, in our culture, with the left calling the shots, it is frightening. We should all recognize it as such. And don't allow them to gaslight you. I saw recently, we talked about it here on the show Obama saying, you know, oh, critical race theory is so important to the right all of a sudden. Yeah, that's right. We, we have a problem with the left teaching racial oppression and victimology studies to kids and then suggesting that anyone who questions any of this is a bad person. We have a problem with that. Indoctrination, mass indoctrination in societies doesn't lead to happy outcomes. Free societies with free inquiry and free expression and individuality and space for debate and discussion, they, those create beautiful things. Great art, great literature, happy Functional families. I mean, th- th- those are the things you can get in free societies with the state in full control. You just get equity through misery, except for the people in charge. They'll always be doing just fine.
2: Plans to jam hospitals, schools and small businesses with new high stakes tests of wokeness to dramatically curtail Americans right to keep and bear arms. And, of course, to tip the scales of our electoral system permanently in their favor. Yesterday, the radical parade began with an attempt to use the cause of paycheck fairness as cover for placing unprecedented new legal burdens on American employers. Wage discrimination on the basis of sex has been illegal for 60 years.
1: (sighs) They're just using... All kinds of social justice pressure on on a whole array of of legislation aren't they? This is the whole point now um, and I'm wondering if if Biden is saving some of this stuff that he may do for closer to the midterms if he thinks it'll be popular enough one one thing they haven't uh, they haven't gotten rid of yet and not at all is canceling student loan debt i mean they're spending so much money. And you have to recognize that for Democrats, writing checks from the public treasury to favored constituencies that will translate into votes is that's like their business model. That's central to what they do. Here is Elizabeth Warren on that right now. Play 12.
2: Right now, President Biden this evening could sign a piece of paper and cancel student loan debt for fifty thousand dollars. He could wipe out all student loan debt. 38 million Americans and substantially cut it for another 5 million Americans.
1: Yep. He might do it. He might do it. This is this is the problem is that at some point the authoritarian democrats will just realize that the the only way they can really keep power is if they just start you they they treat the treasury as spoils. And, and essentially they can just write checks that other people are going to pay for. I mean, imagine if you were running a, a running a political campaign and you could give money to whomever you wanted and it wasn't your money, right? Wouldn't you just start going around writing checks to people? I mean, look at what the Biden administration's done with even extending the, the, the federal unemployment benefits even further than was reasonable or necessary. Look what the Biden administration's doing with Wiping out $50,000 of student loan debt. I mean, I, I have I got all kinds of expenses that I run business expenses. I got to pay lawyers and I've got, you know, I got accountants. I got staff. I have all these things. So if I run up that on a credit card, that doesn't get paid off. But I did all those things instead. Instead of getting an advanced degree, I just worked and, and built a career in media. But I could have I could have had $50,000 of my student loans wiped away. Hmm. Isn't that Interesting. But you're going to see more of this. And anyone who tries to stand in the way of just treating the federal, uh, the federal government purse as a spoil system is going to be called horrible names. And they're just going to defame you. So get ready for that. And we are, of course, a threat to democracy. They'll do anything. They'll be a threat to democracy. Play 15. Republicans are afraid of losing power. And they are
2: willing to crush our democracy to protect their power. So what are we gonna do? We can hang back, we can pause, we can turn the other way while Republicans do this. Or we can fight back. Me, I'm
3: fighting back. Oh, we can fight back. We can We can fight back and you know they're a the threat to our democracy. <laughs> She's so horrible. I mean I'm sorry. Jesus, I mean, how, how could this person have won any election? Oh, here I am. I'm just wearing a sweater. And I'm yelling. And I got my glamour Producer Mark, make it stop, man. I can't handle it. That
0: <laughs> clip hurt my ears, too. Oh, my gosh. It was brutal.
3: Oh, we're just going to take the money, and we're going to give it to the people who deserve the money. I mean, I get to still be a millionaire who lives in a big, fancy house, but but uh, we're going to take those fat cat Wall Street types and squeeze those little kitty cats until they, they go wow.
1: What is your level of concern that we're going to discredit public health officials to the point of, you know, look at Russia. They actually have a good vaccine, and none of their citizens will take it because they don't trust their own government.
0: Right. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me quite frankly are attacks on science because all of the things that i have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me so if you are trying to you know get at me as a public health official and a scientist You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that. You have to be asleep not to see that. That is what's going on. Science and the truth are being attacked.
1: Not once, but twice, Dr. Fauci says that an attack on him is an attack on science. Remember I, I just watched Braveheart with the Snow Princess, great great movie, totally love it. And and the evil sheriff who kills William Wallace's wife, you know, cuts her throat at the uh, at the uh, in the town square, he says an attack on the king's guards is the same as an attack on the king himself, right? And it really really hammers home for you when you hear that, "Oh, okay, so you're just like a you know, you're just a an iron-fisted authoritarian who's going to continue with that nonsense. Because it's clearly not the same as an attack on the king himself, right? The king is a different person in a different place. It's not the same thing. You can pretend it is, but it's not the same thing. An attack on Fauci is not an attack on science. And yet he says it twice. Remember Louis XIV said, L'Etat, c'est moi. The state... Is me. I am the state. And for for Fauci, you could say Le Science C'est moi, Le Science C'est Fauci. Science is Fauci and Fauci is science. This is what this little lab coat Stalinist is saying. In case you were wondering, was Buck right about this guy all along? Did I nail this one? The answer is yes. Yes, I did. Fauci is the worst. He has been wrong over and over again. He has been disastrous for America's response to the COVID pandemic. He is a tool of the Democrats. He bent the knee like a little coward to the Democrat teachers unions. He always, always did whatever these shrill hysterics Over at CNN and MSNBC wanted him to, among other channels. He loved the little cult of personality that was created around him. And now, sure enough, as more truth comes out about this, we find ourselves recognizing. We find ourselves recognizing that a lot of people were hoodwinked, bamboozled, misled by the not-so-good doctor. You know, I could have just been in the background and just been at least deferring to the policy community of politicians who are elected and theoretically accountable. However, I like being on TV a lot and having my face everywhere. So instead, you had to see me every five minutes because I am science. Yeah, that's pretty much what we went through. That's what we saw here. play 16.
0: All of us have always realized, and I feel this way, I haven't changed. Most of the scientists that I know feel that way, that the most likely origin is a natural origin from an animal reservoir to human. However, we have not ruled out the possibility that there could have been a leak from the lab of them working on the virus it could have been that someone was infected early on they brought him into the lab and it came out of the lab but it was already out in the community
1: no 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 vouch i'm sorry buddy the most likely origin is from a natural reservoir to human this is what he's saying uh Where where is the proof of this? Stop just saying likely we think consensus, the science, we believe what is true is not the same thing as what Fauci thinks. This is a very important lesson. It's one that we have learned, unfortunately, only through suffering far too much. In the process, and and I, I just, I'm still, I'm still furious about what Fauci has done to this country. I'm still very angry about the fact that the media uh, propped this guy up. I mean, he's he's actually giving interviews where he says, if you're attacking me, you're attacking science. What a, What a megalomaniacal loon this guy is. I mean, he's really deluded. He really thinks... He should have his face crocheted on pillows in the background of TV shots with Democrat governors trying to look like they worship at the altar of Fauci because they do. I warned about this guy all along. I saw exactly who he was and I am sitting here now just telling you, yes, I'm proud of that because I had I had conservatives who were, you know, I, I had a couple of, I'm not going to say the word, a couple of conservatives want to debate me, you know, want to debate me on Fauciism, but they're kind of friends of mine, not big people, not people that you'd be like, ooh, but a couple of people, oh, I want to come on your show and debate you on Fauciism. I was like, no, because honestly, and I know this is easy to say now, I didn't want them to embarrass themselves by by defending the double mask, by defending all the reversals and the school closures and, and the mitigation measure. You got to wear a mask when you go up To the hostess, but not when you sit at the table. I mean, they have now people in in New York in vaccinated and unvaccinated sections of restaurants. If I had told you that that's where we'd be a year into this thing, if I told you at the very beginning, you said, no, no, that is where we are. That is what has happened. People all all over New York City. I mean, I think is, I don't want to I'm not. see. I'm not going to do what they did. I'm not going to go around and mask shame people. There are people all over New York City still walk around outside by themselves who are vaccinated with masks on. Is that is that normal? Is that reasonable? No, the people who do this should be embarrassed. I mean, this is like walking around on a beautiful sunny day in, you know, rubber rain boots with a big umbrella out and a, and a rubber raincoat on. And everyone say, well, what are you what are you doing? I mean, yeah, you're allowed to. But what's wrong with you? Like, there's no rain. Stop. It's not comfortable. You're not enjoying this. It's hot. But they have been exactly, as I said all along, they have been brainwashed. Utterly and completely brainwashed. And part of the brainwashing process, you have to to understand, is that people never want to accept. I mean, this is true of cults. It's true of, of people that get drawn too deeply into self-improvement and multi-level marketing stuff you know they don't want to believe that they were swindled it's actually one of the things that fraudsters always rely on fraudsters know that nobody wants to admit that they were defrauded and so a lot of fraud goes unreported and entirely unpunished because people would rather take the hit oh you know this guy emptied fifteen thousand dollars out of my savings account promising to be a you know a, a prince of kazakhstan or something and i you know I'm not going to tell the FBI about it. I I don't want to get into it because I'm embarrassed. It's embarrassing for people. It should be that they so deeply and completely were consumed by Fauciism. They really believed this little turd? Honestly? They thought that that this was the way to go? It's remarkable. It's remarkable. But here we are. Here we are. The, The little lab coat tyrant enjoyed every second of the power and the attention that he got. And if you stop to think for a moment, I mean, I know you've been listening to me, so you you vote for the theses of this show by listening every day. So you're you're right here with me. Every single one of you who is, who is lending me your ears for whatever length of time you do, you're voting for what I'm putting forward into the national conversation. As you know, it's already a national conversation. It's about to be a really big national conversation we're having here. Um. But Fauci is the worst. And I'm glad that people understand that. I'm glad that people now recognize who he is. Folks, I got to tell you, if you're listening to this on uh, radio, this is going to be the uh, second to last show I do in this time slot. I am moving as of June 21st to the... Uh, 12 to 3 slot with Clay Travis. It'll be the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. 12 to 3. We're going to be on close to 400 stations across the country. So we are very excited about that, um, obviously. And I'll be able to speak to you all right in the middle of the day. We will, uh, for those who have always said, Buck, I want you to take phone calls. Guess what? Phones will be live. So you'll be able to call in. You'll be able to talk to your, your Buckster Talk to your, your Clay, Clay, you know, Clayster. I don't know if we have a name for him, but whatever you guys want to call him. Clay's a great dude, and we are going to do a really, really solid show, I can assure you. We're going to have a lot of fun. He's a very uh, high wattage guy, and he brings some knowledge that obviously I don't have about the sports world, which I, as you know, I'm always honest with you about what I know and don't know. Don't come to me for help on your calculus homework and don't come to me for your sports knowledge. That's what uh, Producer Mark has been providing us with here on the show. Many of you have been asking, and Producer Mark is going to stay on board with the Jesse Kelly show, uh, which will be replacing me in the 6-9. to nine. So, Producer Mark is, is, is going to continue to man his post there, and uh, we're hoping that I get to work with him more down down the line, but for now, Producer Mark is going to be making sure that Jesse has a Seamless transition and uh, has a has a great, you know, just a, a great initial showing, early showing on the, all those stations. I'm just so happy because, you know, I could tell you that um, I could tell you that. You know, when I first came on board, uh, there was the, I came on board with Premier Networks five years ago and this time slot had been very it had been very challenging to get traction from six to nine uh, fr- uh, previously. And this time slot had actually been losing some syndication stations when I when I came on board. I mean, it's a considerable number, actually. So I came on and, and was able to get this this time slot to a place where we were adding and adding. I think I started with something like 100 and 110, 115 stations and finished with... Over the course of five years, about 200 stations. So we close to doubled the station list for this show, while also growing a podcast that uh, is is substantial. I mean, I'll say that just so you know the the iTunes rankings, which some of you see, those are not. That's not just the most listeners. There's also new listeners and duration of listen and who Apple likes, and there's a lot of things that go into that list of the top 100 political podcasts. Uh, it's, it's roughly uh, corresponds with, with most listens, but there are, there are, and this is known, there are other factors that go into it uh, that, that determines on the Apple platform. But you see, we've often, we've been you know, in the 60s and the 70s on that Apple list, uh, and that includes non-conservative podcasts too and everything else. So we have built a, a substantial podcast audience too over the course of this. And this is my way of saying, guys, I I'm going to get more into this tomorrow um, because it will be my last show in this time slot. But it it has been uh, su- such an incredible experience to have folks who learned about me because they just turned on the radio and they didn't know who the host was even going to be five years ago. Uh, back in 2016, when I started this, uh, they didn't know you know how things were going to shake out for this show. And we we came to the table we, we you know we didn't have any uh, of our uh, presenting sponsors, you know the way we respond we had advertiser, but we didn't have presenting sponsors and some of the longstanding relationships we've built here with great sponsors that are now on the show and have been with me. I mean some of these sponsors have been with me now for for four or five years. So we we just built this whole community. And I'm gonna tell you there's a little there's a little part for me that feels uh, I'm so excited about the new show, and how could I not be? I mean, to be twelve to three, in the rush slot for, for and remember, I I, I like to put it that way. I am following the I'm following the uh, Rush Limbaugh slot, right? I'm following Rush into this slot. There is no replacing, and you'll never hear me say there's no replacing Rush. Neither Clay nor I believe we're replacing. He is irreplaceable, but we are following him into this slot on the air. And planning to do a really, uh, really strong show that I think you'll you'll enjoy a whole lot. It's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty fast paced show too. We're gonna cover a lot of ground, and there will be that live element to it. It's gonna be one. It's gonna be a one hundred percent live show. So we're gonna be taking calls. We're gonna be you're gonna be hearing everything as it happens. And uh, Clay and I are, are are excited about that. And how could we not be? I mean, in terms of just sheer audience numbers, it's tough to. Come close to that four hundred stations, and and all the listeners will have every day. Plus, there will be a podcast of that show. Um, but I, I know it, it's it feels a little bit like, uh, you know, you get it, you get comfortable in an apartment, it becomes your home, and now I'm re- I'm moving to a new radio home, and I want to tell you all that I really like this radio home that we built, and I'm I'm very thankful to producer Mark for being with us for the last two years and making this place as as successful as it has been and as, as much as much fun and as uh, just everything. I mean, this this is a community. The People listen to this show. You're all spending time with me. And in a sense, we're all spending time with each other. And there's a connection there. There's a bond. And even though I'm going to be moving to a time when I'm hoping a, a lot more people will will share in that with us and I'll just continue doing what I do there. Um, it's a change. You know, I'm I'm leaving. I'm leaving my apartment and moving to a house in the suburbs. It's a pretty big, nice house. But, you know, I'm, I'm not actually doing that, by the way. But you know what I'm saying with our, with our metaphor here. And so there's a part of me that has a bit of nostalgia, especially given the fact that for the last 12 months, this show has been not only my life's work, it's been my, my lifeline, in a sense, to the outside world. And I, I rode out this pandemic with all of you listening a little snorty French bulldog named Tallulah and my girlfriend, the Snow Princess and producer Mark. And that's it. I mean, that was the pandemic for me doing this show and then a small group of people with me every day. And we we came through it. uh, You know, we came through it first from a health standpoint. Obviously, I'm always pleased when I hear from members of the audience who tell me that, you know, they're okay. Maybe they had a close call with COVID, but they're good. And I've, I've heard a lot of people that, um you know, had that experience and got through it. So I'm always happy for, the, for that good news. And professionally, this show came through stronger than ever. We did. And so moving to the 12 to 3 slot is a great honor, and it's only possible because of so many of you listening. But I, I'm going to miss our little Freedom Hut here from 6 to 9. I'm, I'm going to miss it. Um, and I know for a lot of you it's, you know, 8 to 11, or it's 9 to midnight or whatever. But I'm going to miss it, but I'm excited for the, it's not going to be a Freedom Hut, folks. It's going to be a Freedom Castle. De Blasio enlists the feds to battle soaring New York City gun crime, which he says was triggered by cops getting sick and dying from COVID instead of his own NYPD cuts that took 1,800 officers out of the force. This is what I mean when I talk about the Democrats' Learning the wrong lessons. We suffer the consequences of their bad decision making. And what do they do? They turn around and say, aha, I know what I've got to do now. I know what has to be different. And they fill in the blank with the wrong thing. Or they tell you that the reason for the current surge in crime, the reason that there's been this escalation of violence in New York City is and they say something that's just not true. So their diagnosis of the problem is wrong. And their solution after making the wrong diagnosis is also incorrect. And this is what you see with de Blasio. It is not, in fact, the case that we have a crime problem because of covid. In fact, if you look at other countries around the world, I mean, there's plenty of data to support what I'm saying on this. COVID has and should have resulted in massive declines in crime around the world because you had people not interacting with other people, fewer people at bars, fewer people going out at night on the streets should mean less crime. Yet we've had markedly more crime. Why is that? Well, they don't want to admit this to you, but it's because they decided to throw police under the bus. They decided to pander to the BLM movement and they thought that in an election year, mobilizing the left wing base and yes, pushing for as many possible activists to get uh, out there on the streets and push for minority votes to turn out in the highest possible numbers for Joe Biden. That was the most important goal that mattered more than than anything else. And so we see this now with the aftermath of the undermining of police, the supporting of these BLM narratives out there. We see this happening and we recognize it at some level that this is not going to go away until they at least begin to speak honestly about how we got here. And certainly until they recognize that you only make this better when you take appropriate action. De Blasio cut the NYPD by eighteen hundred last year. Uh, this is all in the Daily Mail uh, He cut the budget by eighteen hundred and he disbanded a six hundred officer plainclothes unit that was tasked with tackling street crime. And the NYPD union has long said that the spike in crime is a result of de Blasio policies. And this is true. Now, you could say, well, why is it de Blasio's fault if it happened in so many other cities, too. Ah, well, let's answer that, shall we? Because the BLM movement was pushing uh, for police reform or abolishing the police or defunding the police in all major U.S. cities last year. So it is not, in fact, surprising at all that the reason that I'm giving for the increase in crime in New York City ...is also the reason for the increase in crime in so many other places across the country. But you know what de Blasio is saying he's going to do now to, to come up with a, a way to, to solve the problem? You know what his latest is? He wants to embed members of the ATF.
7: ...the partnership between the NYPD and the federal ATF. This is crucial... Everyone agrees the number one issue is guns, getting the guns off our streets. And we all know that the proliferation of guns during the pandemic was unprecedented and troubling. And therefore, we have to double down on getting guns off our streets.
1: No, no, no. Everyone does not agree that the number one problem is guns. This guy is a delusional loon. There's absolutely no consensus that the problem is guns. The problem is that moron Democrats like de Blasio undermined law enforcement. And now the good people of New York City, as well as many other cities all across America, are suffering as a result of it. That's the issue. He, he can try to distract us with something else. But here you can hear more of the worst mayor in America blathering on for a second.
7: ATF is where it all comes together. The federal bureau of alcohol tobacco firearms and explosives this is the leading edge this is the part of the federal government that finds the guns gets them out of the hands of bad guys and keeps communities safe and it means we're going to have atf agents directly embedded in the nypd working together to find guns and quickly act on the information that they find to stop the flow of guns
1: This works so well, doesn't it, in Chicago, you know, making it really onerous to get guns legally, being very restrictive, very punitive about people who have guns. You know, what's going to end up happening here? They're going to end up finding, you know, this ATF NYPD Intel Task Force is going to get some guy who's got, you know, an unregistered. 12-gauge shotgun, like a double barrel that he uses to go skeet shooting at his country home over the weekend, they're going to grab that guy and say, see, we, we we don't have any special treatment here. Lock him up for three years. Now we're making people safe. This is the kind of craziness that the Democrats and de Blasio like to engage in. They, they like to pretend as though all guns taken from lawful citizens' hands makes us all safer. I mean, you should just think of it this way. If Bill de Blasio could, he would make it completely illegal for anyone in New York City who's not law enforcement to have a gun. If he could get away with it, he would do it. So that tells you a lot about where this stands. And the ATF director of the Biden administration is a lunatic anti-gun zealot, which, of course, is why he's found his, his perfect position being the authoritarian bureaucrat in charge of trying to go after guns, tobacco. Think about this alcohol. I mean, the fact that the ATF and now it's the ATFE, if you're wondering, because they have explosives in there too. the fact the ATF even exists just goes to show you how much mission creep there can really be in the federal government, how outrageous the overreach from the federal government can become if left unchecked. I mean, the ATF, you go back in its history and you think, hmm. You go to Ruby Ridge and you go to Waco and you go to some of these situations, ATF and FBI and federal law enforcement all of a sudden is something that you realize Democrats have so much less of a problem with than they do local law enforcement. They they talk about defunding the police. You'll notice they never talk about defunding the FBI and the ATF. Why is that? Well, because the ATF and the FBI are top down instruments of national power for the Democrats of nationwide implementation of central policy and are used for political reasons to go after opponents of the Democrat regime. You know, like Russia collusion and Donald Trump. Or in this case, harassing lawful gun owners, because I can assure you the ATF is going to go after plenty of people now in New York who have no criminal history, but have an unregistered firearm. Guess what? Their firearm should not have to be registered. New York City's laws are unconstitutional when it comes to the Second Amendment and they keep playing games where they change the law or they they hope that it will just get dragged through the courts even more. They play process games with the Second Amendment in this city. It's appalling. They couldn't even tell you until recently whether you could legally take a New York City licensed premise permit handgun so you can have only in your home in a lockbox. And remember separate lockbox for the ammunition and a trigger guard on the gun, too, so that if a burglar, if a home invasion happens, you can throw the lockbox with your ammo in it at his head. That's going to be your best option. The, and the NYPD and Cy Vance's district attorney's office couldn't even tell you if it was legal for you to take that lawfully registered and locked weapon outside city limits or not. They weren't really sure. I mean, that's the kind of gun control law we have in New York City. It's stupid. It's unconstitutional and it's tyrannical. And I got to tell you, after what we've all seen the last year from a government that is willing to shut down churches, that is willing to to put people through physical discomfort with the idiocy of the double mask policy and all of this because of some tyrants in lab coats working for the federal government. I think more than we have in a long time, we we understand that the check on government tyranny that the Second Amendment represents is very important de blasio hates it that's why he wants the atf he wants the feds to come in first of all it's not going to do a darn thing to stop actual violent crime in this city and you and i both know it second of all it's a distraction from the fact that de blasio is a moron and third the democrats have a tyrannical impulse to disarm the population you know it and i know it
0: hey team buck it's time for roll call
1: There we go. Facebook.com slash BuckSax and TeamBuck at iHeartMedia.com. A quick bit of business for all of you listening to the show. I am off the air next week. Uh, I'm not going to be doing radio or podcast. I have a week of, well, preparation. Some, some I wouldn't say relaxation. I'd say I have a week of rest and preparation. I'm not really relaxing because we're launching the big, big show june 21st premier radio network syndicated on almost 400 stations across the country very very exciting stuff Uh, and i just want you to make sure you know though that next week we will have in this time slot and also for your podcast listeners we'll have guest hosts so producer Mark, who who do we have slotted so far? I know it's not all final and official yet, but uh, who are a couple of the folks we've got guesting next week?
0: Next year, next week uh, we have Freedom Hut favorite Ben Weingarten filling in. Oh, wonderful!
1: Yes. Okay, great. So we got Ben Weingarten joining. Very, he's just a very high intellect guy and a really good guy, a nice, honest, solid individual, Ben Weingartner. So. uh uh I think I just said Weingartner. It's Weingartner, isn't it? Yes, I always it is. do that. Yeah, but I know him. But I know him so well that he would not even. We go back. I've known Ben for almost ten years now. We go back to the Blaze. We worked together there. Um, so yeah, he's going to be on for next
0: week. Great guy and so, fellow Mets fan. That's yeah. Why he's my favorite guest host?
1: Ah, I see you got like a Mets mafia thing going on here. I mean, I I'm get usually it now.
0: partial to fellow Mets fans. Well, I'll yeah. admit. It.
1: I don't know. I don't think we've ever had a Yankees fan guest host on the radio here. I'm just, I'm just putting two and two together.
0: I mean, there's a reason for it. Yeah, not, not that I ask their uh, baseball team before I hire them.
1: I mean, luckily, I don't care about baseball, but to some of the Yankees fans in the audience, this may not have gone totally unnoticed, Producer Mark. I feel like you'd even throw a Red Sox fan be, uh, to this audience before a Yankees fan. I mean, let's just call it a happy coincidence. A happy coincidence. All right, let's hear from some of you. We got Marcus. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. First, Buck, a huge congratulations on taking over for Rush. I can't think of a better person suited to carry on the radio cause of conservatism. Now, my main point of all the government intrusion and rights violations during COVID, what concerns me the most, and I don't think I have heard anyone address it, is the fact that for seemingly the first time, the government has put restrictions on being able to return to your home country. Obviously, for violations of federal law, like treason akin to refusing re-entry to people who ran away to ISIS. But we even allowed John Walker Lindback and Bo Bergdahl to return home. But if I leave the country, even though I have proof of COVID vax, I still have to prove no active infection prior to being allowed to return to the U.S., regardless that I'm a citizen and I have health insurance, and supposedly my wearing a mask on a plane will protect others from getting infected. I think this sets a very dangerous precedent. that The government can set conditions for you to return to the U.S., even if you're a citizen or naturalized. I'm surprised nobody seems to have challenged this in court. Uh, Marcus, which, which, first of all, thank you so much for the kind words. And, and I would say that you have to remember the, the powers, the pandemic powers that uh, governments have, right? Health emergency powers. And everyone's gotten a big reminder of this during the pandemic, are extraordinarily severe. I mean, under under quarantine authority, they can pretty much like uh, detain you and like it's, they're not going to call it in prison, but that's what it is. You know, if, if there was a bad enough virus going around and there were people that were just saying, sorry, I'm not going to stay home, you could see that there are people in this government who would say, we are going to handcuff you and lock you up in a place and not let you leave. And men with guns are going to enforce that rule. You could see that happening. You could see that happening. So just remember that, folks. Our little test drive of authoritarianism is not something that you should forget anytime soon because it could come back and be even worse the next time. And I I think that Fauciism is now something we're going to be fighting for a long time. The mindset of the the health bureaucrat tyrant. Uh, This is a big problem. Alex, not original Saturday squad, but I've been with you for a few years now. I discovered your show on the late night slot of my local conservative talk station. And I can remember thinking they should move you before some of the earlier hosts who I'll refrain from mentioning by name. Thanks, Alex. And I probably agree. Luckily, I was able to circumvent the station's poor choices by making the podcast a daily highlight of my drive home. I wish it had not taken the absence of Rush, but given the situation being what it is, I think your well-deserved promotion was the best choice possible to carry on the legacy of leadership, intellect, humor, and freedom-loving and broadcast excellence each midday. Congratulations. I can't wait to tune into you and Clay in a couple of weeks. Alex, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that a lot. And we're going to do, I'm just telling you, we're going to do a great show. Clay and I are not Rush and we're never going to be Rush, but we're going to do a great show. And um, those of you that have felt that absence for the last five or so months, uh, we're never going to be able to make it go away. But we're hoping we're going to be able to 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 help to step in and help the cause of conservatism. Tim, Haybuck, First, congratulations on the new show. I'm sure Rush would give his blessings. I'm wondering if Trump would be poisonous fruit at this point because whether right or wrong of his refusal to let go of events about the past election that ultimately led to Biden being installed. Is Trump too controversial and polarizing to be an effective candidate for 2024? Should he quietly move aside for someone like Ron DeSantis and offer his support for the next candidate? I would support either direction to save our republic from the current American Marxist regime. What's your opinion? Also, if the Baconator from Wendy's seems a bit too extreme, there's also the son of Baconator. Same overall taste, less meat. Shields High from Ohio. All right. Um, Tim, thanks so much. And uh, let me say that I'm going to continue to talk about the Trump versus DeSantis situation a lot on the new show. Um, For me right now, I think DeSantis is the move. But I'm, I'm open to being told I'm wrong. As always, team, last show in this slot tomorrow. Off next week, June 21st, the big launch, 12 to 3. Until then, shields high.